Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. What is going on? It is the Hoop Ball Clippers podcast coming at you on a Friday afternoon from Los Angeles after the Clippers drop their opener against the Golden State Warriors in what was an odd game to say the least. And who's going to break it down with me? None other than Shane Young. You see him on Twitter at YoungMBA. You see his stuff on Forbes. And he is the man that spent hours upon hours <laughs> upon hours writing a 2021-2022 LA Clippers season preview that you can download by going to his Twitter. It is pinned to his Twitter. You can go and download that 63-page document. You heard me correctly. <laughs> 63 pages. He is one of the hardest working men in the business. And he is back on the Hoopball Clippers podcast. What's up, Shane? What an intro, Brandon. I appreciate you, and I'm glad to be back here. It's like my third or fourth time. I, I love it. We always have a good time. So uh, it's hard to believe it is October 22nd. It's hard to believe we've already seen one game out of 82. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, like I'm not, I'm not ready for it, but we have to dive right in. We're going to go backwards. We're going to start with the game yesterday, and then we'll go backwards and talk a little bit about your season preview. First Mm -hmm. off, the game yesterday, the Clippers go down by 19. You think they're done. I mean, there's no chance whatsoever. They are not going to come back. This is all but over. Steph Curry goes 25 points, 9 of 9 from the field in the first. A man that you have as one of the top 10 players of all time, and you were adamant about that one. And then all of a sudden, the Clippers come back, and they lead at the half in what is a bizarre first half. Oh, oh, I, I, let's start with that first half, and then we'll kind of go with the whole yeah. game. What the hell? Like, how does that happen? <laughs> you have Steph Curry, who is one of the most demoralizing humans in all of basketball, where it feels like his three-pointer is worth more yeah. than anybody else's three-pointer, and the Clippers somehow weather that storm and come back to lead at the half. That was one of the strangest halves of basketball I've seen and it's in game one for the Clippers. Your thoughts? <laughs> well, first of all, imagine how how breathtaking that is that you can call him the most demoralizing figure in basketball, and he's only 6'3", 185. Yeah. Like, that's what's hilarious about the whole thing is that it's not this LeBron-type figure running down the ramp or running down the lane and, and killing you. It's some guy that, hell, looks like you and I, like you and me, you mm-hmm. know, uh, out there just destroying people. Um, so that was that was sick to see in the first quarter. I don't, I, I've never seen a quarter like that from a player. I know Clay had 37, but it's like that wasn't opening night. That was just a random January night. So, like, it, it was crazy to see Steph come out and do that. Um, but for the Clippers, man, like, I'm not going to say they, they started out, like, jittery because uh, they it seemed like they understood what they wanted to do offensively. It seemed like they 
they, for the most part, they were dialed in. It, it, they weren't confused out there. I think what got them in the early 19-point hole was, you know, it, Golden State's offensive movement and execution. Uh, if the Clippers, you know, Ty Lue wants to switch everything except for Zoo. So if you're switching everything except for the center, it gets a little bit tough to kind of communicate and be on your P's and Q's. I mean, if you are if you have one miss, mishap or, you know, you take one misstep, I think PG said it best in postgame, right? He's like, if you're not completely tied to Steph and everything else they do as a team, uh, orchestrating that ball movement, then you're going to make a mistake. And I think uh, the Clippers got backdoor cut quite a few times. I think they botched a couple switches. You know, it's it's Bledsoe's first real game playing with these guys. You know, I know he played in the preseason, but, you know, they didn't play the Golden State Warriors. Like, it's just a completely different ordeal. Um, so I think, you know, it, it, it took a little bit of time for them to get kind of locked in defensively. I thought the offense was fine. That's just me. Yeah, no, the offense was good. And you. what's interesting to me is that the, they came back because of their defense. I mean, as much as you want to say that turnovers are because of the offense, I mean, you got to force turnovers in a way. And the Clippers forced a bunch of turnovers. And that's the reason why they were in this game in the first place, um, because they were able to come back and get those points off turnovers. And, and then yeah. you go to the second half and you have that 98-90 lead. And the Clippers just get demolished with Steph sitting on the bench. So it's just... It's such a weird game because Steph is the reason yeah. why you're losing in the first quarter. And then he's sitting on the bench and you would think, okay, this is an easy chance to add on, but the Clippers get crushed with him sitting. So it, it's, they wouldn't take advantage of their opportunities for sure. They mm-hmm. didn't do, they didn't do well enough on Steph in the first quarter and they didn't do well enough with Steph off the floor in the fourth quarter. And you go by you trail by 19 in the first half and then you allow a 13, nothing run when you're up 98, 90 and it's it's not exactly what the doctor ordered. Just a very odd game, very first game um, about it. I mean, it's it, this yeah. is the type of stuff that happens in the first game. You go and you go down big, and then you fix your mistakes, and then you're not able to capitalize. And mm-hmm. for, for me, uh, I was talking to my brother after the game. I'm like, here's the deal. First of all, Marcus Morris didn't play all preseason, so he was rusty. Yeah. I mean, he made that absurd three-pointer in the corner, but he was not the guy you're used to seeing. Batum was out. Ibaka was out. Reggie Jackson was awful until very late in the game. There's just a lot that you're able to improve upon. Mm-hmm. And despite all that, you only lost by two. So, I mean, I think yeah. there is some certainly positives to take away from this ball game with all that stuff that I just mentioned with Morris and Batum and Ibaka and Reggie Jackson, that the Clippers can be absolutely much better than they were last night. Yeah, I thought Reggie's, I thought for, for one thing, Reggie's shot selection was pretty bad for 90% of the game. I mean, you know, he, he took, I, I think later in the second half, he took shots that you want him to take because he's fearless and you need someone like that, especially on the road, to just believe that he can knock down those threes or, or those insane floaters. But, you know, in, in the early portion of the game, I thought he was forcing quite a bit. Uh, you know, we, we you got to love Reggie and his confidence, but... Uh, at some point that you got to dial that back. He kind of looked more like a bubble Reggie than uh than uh last season Reggie. If I must say, and I think PG like we we definitely had to give him his flowers, had to give him credit. Uh in that second quarter, only played 8 minutes and 47 seconds, you know, didn't play the entire second quarter, but still 6 of 7 from the field, 16 points. Uh one thing that that I'm really loving from PG in the last 2 years. I know he's he started doing it a lot in Oklahoma City or some in Oklahoma City. But when he got to the Clippers, he has right next to Harden and 
yeah, I don't think KD even really has this because KD is more like east to west shiftiness to get you off balance than shoot. PG has this stuff where like he'll start at the perimeter, uh, you know, drive what line drive into the into the paint. Well, not into the paint, but like towards the elbow, and just stop on a dime, hard plant with his left foot, or I think it's a left or right foot, and just completely create the most separation you can ever imagine from a guy that size. So I thought like it, he was really burning Golden State up with those mid-range jumpers and then in transition off threes, uh, not being afraid to let it fly. So if he did not do that in that second quarter, it it would have been over quickly. Now, let me ask you something. I want to go back to what you just said about Reg Jackson. What type of player does he need to be? Because you mentioned that he needs mm-hmm. to be last year's Reggie Jackson, not bubble Reggie Jackson. I feel like he needs to be somewhere in between for this Clippers team to do yeah. well because you don't have Kawhi Leonard. So last year you could be Reggie Jackson and have Kawhi there and PG there, but there is no Kawhi. So it feels like yeah. there certainly is a lot more on Reggie Jackson's shoulders scoring-wise. Mm-hmm. And I think he certainly felt that yesterday in terms of him needing to be that guy because you look at the Clippers and their starting lineup and you're not going to get what you got from Bledsoe every game. I mean, that was obviously very yeah. impressive. He had a great game. Bledsoe is certainly a player that has it in his bag of tricks to do what he did yesterday and do it in several ball games. But between Reggie Jackson and Bledsoe and Morris and Zoo and PG, I mean, you look at that lineup and it really is PG one and offensively it's probably Reggie Jackson too. So what exactly yeah, I, do you see there? I see. I've been I've been tuned on this for for a bit. Even when I was writing my preview, when I got to the Eric Bledsoe section, I, it it kind of bleeds together with Reggie because I actually kind of disagree. I think that Bledsoe probably needs to be the second guy in terms of at least in terms of line drives and penetration and and I guess not overall usage because Reggie's still probably gonna take more shots off you know catch and shoots and whatnot. But I think just on ball usage, I think Bledsoe needs to be number two. That's just my opinion. I'm not sure how you feel about that, but um, you know, for me, the ideal role with this team when it comes to Reggie, it 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 was different with Kawhi because Kawhi's not this like you know, I keep saying north south, but he's not this guy that's just going to get into the paint at will every time off of speed, you know. So, but I think Bledsoe is. I think Bledsoe is going to be able to collapse the defense to to that degree. He's probably the best driver on the team. Um, just because of how how fast he still is, it, it's kind of it's kind of remarkable. It took me it took me back, you know, watching him in the preseason. I did not think that he was going to be that fast. He he sure as hell didn't look that fast in New Orleans. We we should we should say that. Looked like his prime Milwaukee days though. Um, I think Reggie's best role is going to be attacking off closeouts, attacking on the second side. So you know, if the defense collapses a little bit, oh Reggie's open on the wing throw it to him, whether that's Bloods or PG, whoever it is, throws it to Reggie, and then he attacks off a hard closeout. Because if Reggie catches with three or four feet of space, you know that defender is going to dart at him with full speed. You know they are scared to death, petrified of Reggie's shooting after last year's numbers, um, especially in the playoffs. So I think Reggie's best like you know, strength will be attacking off the shifted and unbalanced defenses that if that makes sense it does and and does that mean that you think he's more of an off the ball type guy that's going to be i do one of their better shooters and not a guy that should be creating his shot as much as perhaps maybe a guy like Bledsoe that's able to get to the paint 
that, that that's that's just my take and you know i think it's also important to understand for you know listeners that when you say that it doesn't mean that reggie's never going to get opportunities to drive right, right? it doesn't mean that reggie's just uh, going from let's say 11 drives like he did last night 11 drives to the rim down to like two i mean they're still going to be sprinkled in there i i, I really do think a, a good role for him would be you know as one of these like microwave scores off the bench i'm not i think i think he should still start but you know on bench lineups i mean that's where he's really going to get his his cooking done when blessel's on the floor i i just kind of think if he's the one that's doing the driving for the most part then you're you're relying on Bledsoe for some catch and shoots, which we saw him miss quite a bit last night. I mean, he may, I think he made one, but yeah. you know he had a couple late in the game that you know rimmed out. So I, I would much rather have Reggie as like the uh, you know I guess the bailout threat in those situations. I, I think I'd rather have PG and Eric downhill predominantly for within the offense. Well, that was certainly the book on Eric Bledsoe coming in is that his one weakness is going to be that he's not as good of a three-point shooter as Pat Bev. And so that's probably the one weakness. Whereas Eric Bledsoe was able to create his own shot. I mean, the guy was 10 of 16 from the field and he was getting to the paint at will and was showing off, like you said, his speed and he's got major power. He's a small dude, but he's strong. And you saw that yesterday. Now you look at the shot selection, Shane. And so you look at the shot numbers, rather 23 field goal attempts for PG 19 for Reggie Jackson, 16 for Bledsoe. Is that close to what you think it should be like, or do you think some of those numbers need to be higher, some of them need to be lower? Mm. Well, uh, you know, you kind of touched on the Marcus Morris situation. I, obviously, Morris probably needs to be above seven, to yeah. be honest with you. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's going to change. I, you know, we, I think we we saw this before, and ironically, it was in, it was in the Bay Area. I think... When he made his return in January or so, uh, you know, after that knee soreness to begin last season, he looked really bad in Golden State. He looked really bad in a couple of games. Then he started coming together. You know, February, March is when Marcus Morris looked like the best shooter in the world, <laughs> you know, outside of a couple of guys. So I think I think Marcus is going to take some time. I'm more concerned about his defense, but that's, a, that's a, I guess, another topic. But in terms of shot distribution, man, like, Last night was kind of close to what I think it should be. I, I think they really had, they had a great offensive night, generated 43s. I think 18 of them were, were you know, bare-naked looks, wide open. Um, that's almost half your shots are, you know, not even contested. Um, I, I, I'm more – it's more about, to me, getting to the rim, getting to the foul line, which, you know, Bledsoe, only three foul attempts. But, you know, that, that should go up the more aggressive he is. Uh, let me ask you though, like if, if they have this shot selection, this shot distribution with Bledsoe taking 16 shots and Reggie taking 19 shots, are you concerned about, you know, Bledsoe's health? Are you concerned about as many times as he hit the deck? He was on the floor longer than he was standing last night. It seemed like, are you concerned that he won't hold up? Yeah. I'm glad you asked that because I, I was looking at that Bledsoe number and 16, I think is far too many shots for him. I mean, that, that, Probably that's 12 for me, you know, 12 yeah, or so. Yeah. That's certainly high usage. I mean, if Bledsoe's going six of 12 from the field it, and that's even higher than who he's going to end up being at, because you're not going to shoot 50% if you're Eric Bledsoe. Um, but 12 shots, I think 12 to 13 is reasonable. 16's a lot. Um, four threes, I think is going to end up being what he, he takes around three to four a game. Yeah. I, I mean, he, he cannot turn down the threes. That's, right. That's what, I Lou off. Yeah, exactly. And that happened with Luke Kennard, is that we've seen him not take the threes when he's been open. I mean, he was one of five from distance yesterday, but people forget how good Luke was from three last year. I mean, he was over 45% from distance. So he's 
a really good three-point shooter. You got to take him if you have him. And with this offense, the ball moves so quickly and there's so much get to the paint and kick it that you got to take him. But if you're Bledsoe and you're getting to the paint and you're going into those centers and you're going to those big bodies, you got to be careful. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I definitely think that he's got to be careful with what he's doing. He's got to pick his spots, but at the same time, this offense surely needs to move um, with him at the helm. And it's going to be interesting because, like you said, Marcus Moore, seven shots. He probably needs to get more than that. Reggie Jackson, though, I mean, that's a lot of usage. 19 shots is certainly yeah. a lot. And with PG, I think the one thing that really is a positive, and I was talking to Schaff about this last week, um, was that Paul George, I think, needs to get back to what he was doing when he was with OKC during that 18-19 season when he was attempting close to 10 threes a game. And, oh my God, you're, you're preaching to the choir, man. Yeah, I mean, we, we were talking about that, and Shaps like, he needs to take more threes. And I'm like, I, you're certain, the way we describe PG during our season preview is that he needs to get back to that guy that was with OKC in 18-19 when he shot nine and a half threes per game. And he didn't yeah. have more than eight in any other season in his career. So he every other season was below eight. So you need to become that guy that gets at least 10 threes a game. And he was yesterday, 5 of 11. Yeah. I mean, he's a great three-point shooter. And you go 5 of 11, man, that's a instantly 15 points. And then you add in jumpers. And then one of yeah. these days, he'll get love from referees and get to the free throw line. And you're looking at 25 to 28 points per game. It might take him $500,000 in fines yeah. to get there, though. Yeah. <laughs> he's probably going to get fined today. I wouldn't be surprised if we see that announcement uh, yeah. later. But um, for PG, you're you're completely right. And Shap's right. Like, I think, you know, collectively, I think, you know, even Justin Wilson and all of us have been have been clamoring, like, if you're not taking 12 to 13 threes a game, hell, I'm 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 of the mindset that needs to be 13. And that's just because, like, that that would even out his distribution. I mean, 13 threes, you know, 10 twos, that's 23 shots. That's probably where he needs to be, man. You know, somewhere around that range. I think the assistant coaches and film and uh, video coordinators of the Clippers should just sit PG down and, and show him a couple of clips from when he pulled up last night. He pulled up on the left side with a guy directly in his face, no breathing room at all, drilled it, nothing but net. And then in transition, which is where I think he can get even more aggressive. That is That to me is the next step in his progression. Is It's not the Steph and Dame stuff, because that's just absurdity. You're not ever going to expect that from a 6'9 guy. But it's the semi-transition, oh, I'm, I'm you know, Going 85% speed, not full, not full sprint down the court. But I see that Andrew Wiggins has his feet below the three-point line when I'm driving or when I'm, you know, about to pick up my dribble. I'm just going to shoot. I think that's what he needs to do. More semi-transition threes where the defense can't really contest because they're kind of scared of his drive. That's where he'll get them in trouble. And and to be honest with you, like it, it needs to be 13 or 14 threes for him because if he's not going to get to the line, you have to make that up some way, right? Yeah, and the question is, if you're taking 13 to 14 threes, you're probably not going to get to the line. So you, oh, yeah. you got to find that happy medium, <laughs> I, and it's tough. It's tough. And with PG, the, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask you, like, you know, with PG, I think I, I think what helped him and what's going to help him, especially offensively this year, having more energy, is if he doesn't have to exert all this other, you know, effort and energy on defense on, yeah. on the best guy on the other team whether that was Steph, whether that is LeBron, whoever it is. Um, you know, I think Terrence Mann is somebody that he kind of has to be paired with for a large portion of the game. I'm not I'm not exactly sure the, the minute total that he played with, with Terrence last night. We could look easily, but I mean, 
I feel like they played a, a lot of Terrence's 39 minutes together. And that that number to me, ab- above all the shot selection, above all of the stuff we've been talking about so far, Terrence's 39 minutes. I mean, the trust that Ty has in that guy after, you know, one good playoff run, a, a half a good playoff run, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. And I was going to say with PG, the one thing that you got to love is that his rebounding numbers are still up there. And so that he is certainly a guy that is aggressive getting to the glass. And he's what he does is when he gets those rebounds, he's able to start the offense instantly. So he's able to bring it up and become that point guard. And then he also had six assists yesterday. So overall, I think I really enjoy what I saw from PG yesterday. He did exactly what he needs to do. He just needs to get to the free throw line a little bit more, but some of that is not up to him. And then with Bledsoe, I mean, you got to get to the hole and he did exactly that. Reggie Jackson just has to be better. And the one thing that now I think is worth talking about, and you bring up Terrence Mann, is the minutes. So Terrence Mann, 39 minutes, which he's certainly not going to play on a nightly basis, but 11.7 rebounds, three assists, one steal. And like you said, most importantly, his defense was great. But then mm-hmm. you look at Zoo, and Zoo was only playing 17 last night. And yeah. let's not forget that Zoo was played off the court against the Warriors a couple of years ago. So clearly not the best fit. And I think he's going to be better than this most nights. But your thoughts on the small lineup and not having a second center, not playing Hartenstein, uh, Hartenstein, and instead going with Winslow or PG at the five or Marcus Morris at the five and playing Terrence Mann the, the minutes they did and not playing Zoo very many minutes. Yeah, it, it's probably the number one question for Ty Lue this this entire year. It's how much can you afford to go small? How much do you want to go small? Whenever you... You've seen Zubat's value against traditional bigs like, you know, Aiton. I think he did really well on Aiton. Uh, Aiton still had a, some really high scoring totals in that series. But, you know, I think Zub proved that he's ready to take the next step. And he can, and, and Zub has said, like, his conditioning, he can play 30 if he wants to. He could play 30 plus if he wanted to. Uh, the, the staff just has to let him do it. And he has to stay out of foul trouble. But, you know, I think the small ball lineups give them such an advantage, man, that. It's it's hard. You have to weigh the pros and the cons. And I think with Ty, you it always goes back to what we saw in Cleveland. I think every decision he makes with this Clippers team, or most of them, it's going to go back to what what, what he kind of tailored his offense to, or in his defensive switching to in Cleveland. So I think you know you look and see how often that Cavs team went small in the playoffs, or even in the regular season down the stretch. I mean. During his last year there in 2018, didn't see a lot of uh, Tristan Thompson, you know, lineups whenever the games were close like this. Didn't see a lot of, you know, you, you saw Kevin Love at center uh, for the most part. And I think that is kind of what you're going to see as long as Morris and Batum can hold up, you know, that, that and that's also part of the dilemma. It's how much can you afford to put Marcus out there banging against fives? Uh, you, you hope at least that his offensive usage is strictly catch and shoot threes to where he's not you know, getting into trouble, uh, trying to create off the dribble and, and maybe getting hurt. So I think if it's just predominantly a catch-and-shoot system for Marcus and, and Nick as the center, then it, it kind of lowers the risk or it lowers the opportunity for, you know, disaster there. Uh, so I, I think they could hold up playing small. If it were me, I I would kind I would I would probably increase Zoo's minutes a little bit more and not go as small as much as that. Um to me, it was a little bit too much at times, but what we've seen it, I mean, you know, guard setting screens for Paul George, guard setting screens for Terrence Mann. You know, it 
it, it's kind of just been a staple of Lou's offensive system. And I think he's somebody that wants to play that way, wants to kind of speed up the tempo. And also, like, you're not going to switch Zoo onto Steph. You're not going to switch Zoo onto any, you know, pick your most deadliest, you know, your deadly threat out there on the court every night. So I think we're going to see small ball more than last year. I just don't know how much. And also, once Ibaka's healthy, that changes things. I mean, uh, you'll yeah. have a second center. I about Everyone forgets about Ibaka. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, for rightly so, because the guy's never healthy. He's never on the floor. And so once he's back, that will change things. I mean, you put Ibaka on the floor instead of Winslow, and you put Batum on the floor instead of Coffey. And Shane, they've got a pretty damn good nine-man rotation for a team that doesn't have Kawhi Leonard. I mean, uh, Amir Coffey, fifteen minutes in in yeah. a game against a potential Western Conference playoff foe, <laughs> and he was plus fourteen in his fifteen yeah. minutes. I mean, he he didn't he wasn't bad. He, he didn't score. I mean, he's over three from the field and five for five from the line, um, including those free throws at the end that gave them the lead. Which was or was that at halftime? At halftime, I think it was that gave them the lead. Um, that nonetheless, it's impressive. And Winslow playing 14, Coffee playing 15 yeah. is not exactly what you want. Same with Terrence Mann playing 39. So I think it's hard to actually get a full grasp of what this team is going to be after that first game. But you have an idea. I, uh, yeah, man. Like the whole surge dynamic kind of just throws it, – it's another challenge for Ty, honestly. Even though it's like another – top 50 guy or you know at his prime you know top 50 guy in the league even though you're adding that to your rotation still like at the same time it's going to take minutes away from somebody and it it, it gets really tough when you have a team this deep i argued in my preview that this is the best this is the deepest team in the nba if i mean brooklyn is is up there brooklyn's probably number one when they have everyone there but Kyrie's mia as always right um i think but i think the clippers from one to nine one to ten and if you include Hartenstein, I mean, you know, that, that that gets to be the deepest team in the league to me. And if Serge is there, it, I, I don't know. Because, like, you know, I, in matchups like this, you I, as, as athletic and, and mobile as Serge still is, like, I don't think that it would have changed much on defense. On offense, he could have abused the, the Warriors' smalls, you know, or the Warriors' bigs down low. And gotten you know his to his patented hook or gone to the foul to the foul line a little bit more, but defensively, I mean, you don't want him switch on the perimeter. You know, you, you'd still have him in drop coverage. So I don't know. I mean, it, it's going to be a, a dynamic that I'm interested to see. Uh, hopefully, he's back in early November. Yeah, hopefully he's back soon. I think he's just trying to get his conditioning up. Before we put a bow on this game, folks, got to tell you that whenever I started this podcast, people always started asking me, "What am I doing? Who am I betting on? Where am I betting?" I tell them, "Doing it at mybookie.ag." Their rep is rock solid. They've got the best odds, contests, and promotions in the business. They've got the odds boost to give you free money. They've got blackjack. They've got Premier League. They've got college football. They've got NFL. They've got NBA, hockey. It's all there. Up to the minute lines, live betting as well. Sign up now. Enter the promo code HOOPBALL. Get your deposit matched halfway up to 1000 bucks. That's the promo code HOOPBALL. And get your deposit matched halfway up to 1000 bucks. Head over to MyBookie if you want to add a little excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. If you need a little bit of help, Hit up the guys at the Hoopball Gaming Department. They do a great job there. They've got the wager pass. They're giving out those plays. So if you want them to help you out, go ahead, sign up there. Follow the Twitter handle as well. They do a great job making sure that they add some money to your wallet. Bet with the best. Bet with my bookie. Okay, Shane, so let's put a bow on this ball game. Let's go player by player and kind of go mm-hmm. expectation. So Marcus Morris, agree or disagree that we just think that he needs to get healthy 
and he, he yeah. will eventually get to that 10, 11 shots per game, and I think we'll we'll get a stable floor from him. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think, uh, you know, for him, it's kind of, it comes down to showing that he's not creaky on defense, showing, them, showing that he can actually move, because, I mean, he, he got burned quite a bit last night. Yeah, Marcus Morris, that's one. Zoo, 17 minutes. I think we need to see his minutes go up. He needs to be a little more efficient from the free throw line. <laughs> Six of 10 is not yeah. going to cut it. But 14 points in 17 minutes is really good for a guy like Zoo. I think we want to see him closer to that 22, 25 minutes. Agree? I was I was exactly going to say 22, and I think that we're in for his best year around the rim. I mean, he, his hands are getting a lot better. That's at least what I saw. Reggie Jackson just needs to be more efficient, play within the offense. Yeah, uh, kind of dial it back a little bit. I, it's hard to say that, though, whenever he – he is still on cloud nine from that playoff run. Like you, yeah. you, you, de- you never want to be the guy that says, "Okay, you, wh- whatever worked for you, let's let's chill out." But to me, I, I would whisper, "Yeah, chill out." Bledsoe, love the aggressiveness. I think that we are not going to see that high of usage though. Sixteen shots per night. But I think we saw last night what we're going to get from him—a guy that's going to be good defensively, three steals and a block, and he's going to struggle a little bit from three. Needs to be a little better at the free throw line, but nonetheless a guy that's going to get easy shots because he's able to blow past defenders. Number one thing for Bledsoe coming up, especially against Memphis on Saturday and the, and the future games as well. Transition. As soon as he pulls, either pulls down the rebound or gets the go ahead pass from zoo attack. And I think that he is someone that can help, you know, in that regard, because they didn't really, you know, Pat Bev's not going to attack in transition. So I think they have someone that can get downhill and transition at least now. I think with PG, we got we saw yesterday what we're going to get from him. Uh, unlike the other guys yeah. where it seems like there's some movement up, some movement down, He'll less shots, his, more shots. It seems like yesterday we're going to get – we got what we're going to get from PG. Yeah. His career high is like 28 a game. I think this year he pushed it to 20 – exactly what he got last night. I think he's going to get 29 a game this year. Wow. There you go. Terrence Mann, a lot of minutes. I don't think we expect that on a nightly basis, but we love the defense. Love the rebounding. Seven rebounds for a guy that's his size, I think, is huge. So I said it in the preview show with Shap. I think Terrence Mann is a very sneaky sixth man of the year candidate. Um, <laughs> I think we saw what we're going to get from him yesterday, though. It, hilarious that you say that because there's another bench guy that I picked for sixth man of the year that's probably not going to win it now. But uh, he's on the Clippers as well. We'll get to him. But yeah, when it comes to Terrence, like, for me, like the the biggest, I guess, like improvement or the biggest thing that I'm looking for this year is uh, attacking like that with reckless abandon, but also like not turning the ball over. So I mean, no, no turnovers last night in 39 minutes. That's that's tough to do for a, a a third year guard. I mean, you know, I think he's under control now. Is that sixth man of the year guy Luke Kennard? Are you on <laughs> Luke Island with Shap? Because Shap uh, had that prediction during our preview show. Oh, he did? Okay, well, I yeah. guess he joined Rye Award then because yeah. uh, I think Joseph also <laughs> is on that train. Uh, yeah, I, I I didn't pick Luke to win it. I thought he'd be in the top three. Yeah. Uh, but to me, I mean, if he's only going to get, you know, the 24 minutes, if, if he's going to get beat out in the rotation by Terrence and he's not going to – I mean, he took five shots. He took five threes in 24 minutes. I, I guess you kind of want more, but, you know, Golden State was playing him kind of – kind of close Uh, it's tough to say I kind of need 10 games of Luke before I can make a determination well and also you don't see very many games where Luke has almost as many twos as he does threes I mean normally most of his shots are from three but he had nine shots and five of them were from three so 
he uh, was chased off that three-point line and settled for a couple of jumpers, and he didn't connect on some of them. Going three of nine, which means that he was two for four on his twos, it, I mean, it's, he, he could be a little bit better in terms of being wide open and taking the shot from 12 to 15 feet. Um, Winslow and Coffee, those are guys I don't think are going to play a whole lot, but I think Winslow was an interesting case to see him yesterday. Shows that he's able mm-hmm. to play different positions and a guy that can rebound a little bit as well. So I, I think Winslow was fine, but... Not a guy I that is mobile. Good. Yeah. I, I love how mobile justice looks on the perimeter moving around, especially, I mean, you know, Steph still got around anyone cause he's Steph Curry, but I mean, he justice made it really hard uh, during his minutes. Yeah. I, I think as long as he's able to work hard and just be a guy that the Clippers can count on when they need him, it, it'll be positive. Okay, cool. So that pos- puts a bow on things. Uh, the Clippers overall, I think there's a lot to be, pretty confident about i mean you you heard shane just say it that he thinks the clippers are the deepest team in the nba when healthy um and you look at what they did yesterday and what they're capable of with morris what zoo's capable of reggie jackson bledsoe george man canard batum baka i mean there's a lot of talent there and this is a team that doesn't have the star power of a Kawhi leonard but certainly has a guy in pg that has been an mvp candidate before so you put pg with all these guys that know their role and it fits the team well um so let's go ahead and that kind of transitions us beautifully to your Clippers preview. 63 pages. You are a crazy man. Um, some beautiful artwork in there as well, including the cover. Uh, let's talk about the Clippers and your expectations yeah. for them because we've seen one game, so I don't think that can really change things. Your thoughts on what a reasonable finish for the Clippers would be because I was saying that I think the six or mm-hmm. seven seed probably is the biggest Uh, or it's probably the best option in terms of if you're going to put money on it, but they could probably finish as high as four and as low as nine or 10. Yeah, it's really, I think this year, and I feel like I say this every year. I feel like we all say this every year. This was the toughest season to predict in the entire West. I mean, there's just so many curveballs, so many unknowns. We don't know if Denver is going to be like, you know, this this top tier team until they get Jamal back. I thought they were really good last year when Jamal got hurt. So can you kind of pencil in Denver as, as this like, you know, top three team? Maybe. Uh, but for me, I'm sure you've seen on Twitter that I fully wholeheartedly think Utah is the best team in the West. Uh, if you if Kawhi is not on the Clippers, right? I think if Kawhi is on the Clippers, their ceiling is the one seed and, and they're to me, a finals team, the Clippers are. But if you take Kawhi off for most of the season, which, you know, I think I was on your show and we talked about, you know, maybe like, you know, March or April for me, I'm still around there for March uh, return for Kawhi. We'll see. He looks pretty good. Just stand still shooting. Uh, I think as currently constructed, this Clippers team has a range from 41 wins at their bottom worst, probably, unless everything just goes wrong health-wise. But I think 41 wins, realistically, is probably their floor. And I put in my preview 53 wins would be my best-case scenario if Kawhi doesn't play the season. So that assumes, you know, PG just has this, you know, top-three MVP finish. Uh, he's a finalist for the award, and he's all-NBA first team. This assumes, like, Bledsoe is exactly what they wanted and more. And and Bledsoe probably is, like, you know, all-defensive team in that, in that uh, scenario. But, you know, for me, I kind of went in the middle. It's kind of what you have to do. I, I I, don't know where you stand, but for me, I have the Clippers at 48 wins, 34 losses. Um, I, I think their offense will suffer compared to what we saw last year. 
I'm not saying the shooting is like, you know, going to regress back to the mean to where like everyone was kind of like, oh, well, this is not sustainable at all. And it actually was sustainable for 72 games. So, you know, I think people had to eat their words on that one. Um, I do think it will take a, a couple steps back because you don't have Kawhi absorbing that defensive pressure as much because he Kawhi played 52 games last year. That's a lot to, to not have in your in your arsenal now so i think their offense will go down to like you know eighth or ninth maybe and then their defense it's gonna have a lot of hiccups in the early goings as we saw last night first half looked disastrous you know in, in stretches and they kind of got things together um i think their defense will be about league average so if you put if you bottle all that together it's a 48 win team six seed i think you hit the nail on the head six is where you should expect this clippers team to finish with you know the likes of Denver, maybe Golden State, Utah, Phoenix, uh, the Lakers. You know, uh, well, I, let me ask you. This is what I want to get into. Mm-hmm. I do not think Brandon. It is a hot take to suggest after twenty or thirty games the Clippers have a better record than Lakers. I think that's possible. Uh, the Clippers have a better schedule. I mean, their first fifteen games. I looked at it when it came out, and I thought eleven and four was certainly doable. Um, I'm not sure that's going to continue to be the case, but the Lakers certainly have a lot that they need to figure out. And Russell Westbrook doesn't quite fit well with this team, and it's going to be really bumpy for them. That, I think. That's being very mild yes, about it, too. Yes, <laughs> and listen, they may never figure it out, but I think Vogel's a good enough coach, and I think LeBron is good enough at basketball where they'll be able to figure it out, and they'll start winning games. It, it could be an issue in the playoffs. But yeah. regular season-wise, I think in the first two months, I think you're right that it's possible the Clippers are better initially and then the Lakers really go on a nice run where they win mm-hmm. 15 of 18 or something like that. Um, what do you think about that? What do you think about that range of 41 wins as they're probably their worst, assuming, assuming normal health and 53 wins being their best? For the Clippers, I think 53 is probably too high. Uh, I think that's too optimistic. Okay. If everything uh, goes right, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, Kawhi comes back. Obviously, it, that's. I think that's a little more reasonable. But you're giving that as Kawhi not being there, and I, I just feel like you're gonna have to sit Paul George for load management at some point. Yeah. Um. You're. It's just inevitable that guys like Mark, Marcus Morris, Ibaka, Batum will be sitting games. Um. Could get hurt. So injuries. I think you need to stay healthy for sure. I mean, every team needs to, but especially this Clippers team where, sure, they have a lot of depth, but at the same time, if they get a couple of injuries, that depth qu- quickly disappears. So yeah, I think you look and, at... And I think, uh, Go ahead. I, I, would, I was just going to say, I think a lot of, what a lot of people tend to forget as well is like, you know, I, I've seen people have, you know, the Clippers at, you know, in the play-in game, but have like, you know, all these wins. It's like, it, it, takes, it takes a lot of wins to get out of that. I mean, last year might have been different, I think we saw Golden State get in there, but Golden State was in the play-in tournament when Steph, when they were like you know, thirty and and twenty-one with Steph. Like I mean, that that was a good winning percentage, and they still were in there. It's going to take a lot of wins for the Clippers to get out of the play-in. So you know, there there's probably more like there's a greater chance that they are in the play-in tournament. I think everyone should realize that. But if PG plays 65, 70 games, I mean. I, I kind of just trust what they have depth-wise once Ibaka and Batum are there. Yeah, and Ty Lue's obviously a really good coach, so that certainly helps. And I, I, what I was going to say is you look at the Clippers and their numbers yesterday, and I, I think the 43-point attempts is really good. 
I think this is a, th- a team that shoots the three well. A team that has a lot of snipers, I think, with Bledsoe able, able to get to the paint and able to kick. And the same thing with guys like PG and Raji Jackson. I mean, you have a lot of guys and that can certainly contribute. Once Batum gets back mm-hmm. and Ibaka gets back, you have more perimeter um, offense as well. So I, I like seeing the 43s. I think uh, this is a team that isn't the most talented when it comes to going one-on-one at times. But if you have 95 shots and 40 or threes, there are going to be games where you can't hit a damn thing. But there are going to be yeah. games where you shoot 40 to 45% and you win in blowouts. So yeah. I, I kind of like that number of 40 of the 95. What about, what about you? Do you think that's reasonable? 43s, 95 yeah, attempts? I, it, that's probably where it needs to be. Uh, I know Ty probably wants a few more. And, and, and someone else mentioned, I think it was Ryan Snellings on Twitter, mentioned that once Batum's back, I mean, the Clippers only generated seven corner threes last night, I think. So, I mean, it might have been a, it might have been a little bit more, but I, I know it was 7% of their total shots, so it was around seven seven corner threes. Um, once Batum's back, I mean, that opens the door for three or four more. You know, Marcus will get more. We know he'll get more shots than that. So I, I think their offense is going to be analytic-friendly this year. Last year, it was just a lot of mid-range shots and a lot of threes, you know, off the dribble. Um, and, and catch and shoots as well. But I, I think this year we're going to see Bledsoe really helping them out when it comes to uh, collapsing that defense and creating those corner looks. Cool. Uh, I'm glad that we uh, we kind of agree there in terms of what it looks like for the Clippers going forward. One final thing I got to tell you guys about before we close things up, and that is our friend Manscaped. Boy, they do such a great job. They get the job done quickly, safely, and hygienically. Got to tell you guys, if you're not getting that Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0, I don't know what you are waiting for. Between that and the Ultra Smooth Package, that brand new Lawnmower 4.0, perfect for anybody that wants to up up their grooming game. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code HoopBall20 at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with code HoopBall20 at Manscaped.com. Below the belt grooming taken to the highest degree. The ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when you need a more precise shave, perfect. Multi-function on-off switch can engage in a travel lock, perfect. Additional guard lengths with sizes 1 to 4, trim to your liking, perfect. They've got everything you need, everything you want. Check out their website. Check out all their products. I got to tell you, their stuff is great. 20% off and free shipping. We've got HoopBall20 at Manscaped.com. All right, Shane, let's finish off this podcast Tell me how long it took you to do this preview. <laughs> I, I, I need to know because uh, it, it looked well, like hours upon hours upon hours of work, and yeah. it's it's incredible. I uh, thank you, man. Thank you so much for the kind words and and just for you know allowing me to talk about. It, I guess, but um, you know, it's something that I wanted to. I've been wanting to do for a while. I mean, I I kind of started. I, I think I told you off the air last time we recorded, but yeah. In 2019, I kind of got the idea from my former editors, like to do a season preview of all 30 teams. So each team got their own section, which was three pages. That was like 90 pages right off the bat. But then you throw in some, you know, player rankings and intros and and all that type of stuff. And my first one in 2019, which I could link you all to, uh, was 143 pages. And that that one took me obviously a lot longer because I started that like in late July after free agency ended. And I didn't get done until October 21st that year. So, it, it, you know, it's been two years uh, since I, I dropped that one. But, you know, predominantly covering the Clippers, as you all know, it, it's just a fun team to cover. I was like, you know, let, let me let me do it just on them. Let me kind of tailor it to them. So 
instead of every team getting their own section, I gave every player their own section, three pages worth. Um, I started the idea. I started like the writing and the construction and InDesign, which is the program I use. I had to like learn InDesign again because I've got, it's been two years. I completely forgot how to use it. <laughs> so I had to get the subscription back and, and learn it over like a week period. Then um, that was like early to mid early to mid August when I started that. And the writing started late August. So as you can imagine, let's call it August 27th to October, whatever it was, 19th is whenever I did all the writing. It, it, it you know, there were some days, I'm, I'm sure you can imagine, yeah. I'm sure you've had a project that you've been working on and, and you have days where you just completely do not even want to look at it without getting disgusted. You feel like you just don't even want to look at it. You, you just don't want to work on it. There were days like that. Um, that's kind of what held me back. I mean, I know I told you, that I was going to drop it, you know, you know, early October, and that was the plan. But you know, life gets in the way, and uh, writer's block got in the way. <laughs> Especially once I got down to like, you know, Justice Winslow and and all the rookies, and then Hart. I had to wait till Hartenstein made the team to even do his section because I didn't want to have to erase it and do Harry Giles. So it, it took quite a while, man. Yeah, and it's incredible, man, to to do that much content and to write that much about one team is unbelievable. So everyone, go to Shane's. Twitter at Young MBA. You can download the document. It's still very relevant, obviously. We're only one game in. And you mentioned, Shane, the good start for the Clippers. And you look at the schedule, and next up is Memphis. Um, and that will be at home on Saturday. And then Portland, Cleveland, Portland, OKC, Minnesota, Minnesota, uh, before you get to Charlotte, Portland, Miami. So, I mean, you look at the next several games. And you're at home for the next three with Memphis, Portland, and Cleveland. I feel like you need to go, I think, 2-1 and one at the very worst. 3-0 and oh is certainly reasonable for this Clippers yeah. team. Oh, and, and let's talk, you know, about that. I mean, you know, if, if they do, let's say they do win all these games coming up. I mean, Portland already losing in a heartbreaking fashion uh, in their opener. I mean, Portland's in, in disaster territory if they start off the season poorly, which is probably going to happen. <laughs> and they're a good team. I mean, Chauncey's yeah. going to take a little bit to get uh, his footing underneath him as head coach there. But Lillard, McCollum, Covington, Nurkic, yeah. and Powell, I mean, they've got a good starting five, but yeah. they've got to figure it all it's out. A, and it doesn't help when one of your players is in trade rumors for Ben Simmons. So, and, Yeah, it's it, fascinating that the Clippers have, you know, all but four home games mm -hmm. in November. I mean, November, you know, I, I should say I put the schedule, full-length schedule in the preview as well. So if, if anyone that has the preview, they can just load it up that way as well. Um, but, like, all the home games are back-loaded you know, or front-loaded in, in November. I mean, it's there's a lot. I mean, they could definitely string together a stretch, kind of like last year, where I, I remember last year they were, like, 17-6, and six, you know, looking like one of the most dominant teams in the league. They, they could definitely have that this year. And I think I just counted it. Ten of the first fourteen are at home, which is certainly yeah. very helpful. And then you got two road games, and then you come back and you've got uh, six in a row at home. And then the next mm -hmm. game is at the Lakers, so that, that's technically a home game as well. So a lot of home games. I think we agree that the Clippers need to get off to a hot start if they want to have a chance to avoid that play-in game. And you certainly have the ability to get a hot start with this schedule. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool, Shane. Anything else you want to? Uh, Go ahead and promote. Uh, <laughs> I don't think uh, there's anything for me to promote, really. I mean, uh, for me, my, my work is going to be kind of the same as last year. You know, I'll probably write twice a week. I'm I'm trying to do. 
I'm trying to get some uh, more games under my belt to kind of do like a video breakdown, not necessarily just on the Clippers. Like there's a lot of teams out there. I kind of want to see what they're running offensively, um, Utah being one of them. So I guess just look out for some of my videos I do this year. At Young NBA, you can read his stuff on Forbes. Shane, big thank you joining the pod. Hey, thank you for having me, man. Let's let's do this, especially when I'm in town. You know, it might be in that November stretch when there's a lot of home games. So we'll get together. Let's do it. He's Shane Young. I'm Brandon Marcus. Next up for the Clippers Saturday. That is tomorrow against Memphis. And then Monday and Wednesday, we'll be back at some point next week to break down the Clippers and how they're doing. So until next time, you can follow me on Twitter at BD Marcus. You can follow the Twitter handle for the Clippers at Hoopball Clips for the Clippers podcast account for Hoopball. Until next time, I'm Brandon. Have a great one and go Clips. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.